Today, we're going to be talking about loving God's Word with these two cool guys, Serac and Chad. They're kind of legends around here. I'm a, I'm a pretty high up member of both of their fan clubs, so and I love them dearly. I've known them for a number of years, and so uh, give them your attention and your time, and um, let's just learn together from them. So a couple of interesting things about this value that I think are a little different than some of the others is that a love of God's Word is not doesn't require quite as much of a defense. Some of the other ones we've explained to you guys where we got them or why we picked this thing as a unique thing. This one's like, you know, makes sense. We're a church. We're a Christian church. <laughs> we should probably love God's Word, right? But I think what's interesting about that, and at the same time, Jesus does a really good example of, of loving God's Word and exemplifying that to us as well. But we all know, if you've followed Jesus for, say, a day or many, many years, we all know, I think, how hard this one can be as a believer to love God's Word and have that, um, have that value in our lives. It doesn't happen on accident, and it doesn't happen overnight. It takes effort, and it takes time. And so that's, that's one of the big challenges with this one, I think. So anyway, it definitely seems worth it to grow in as a value in ourselves. I think we all recognize that as individuals, but also as a community, um, that we, can, we definitely have room to grow in our love of God's Word. So anyway, Serac, Chad, could each of you guys give a short sort of two-minute bio introduction of who you are and how you came to fame and all that stuff? Yeah, man, thanks for calling me a legend. Yeah, just Anytime, uh, dude. my ego wants to thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I um, yeah, my name's Serac. For those of you who don't know me, it's good to be with you all today. I um, I'll be 34 in a couple months. I um, pff, let's see here. I was born I was born in Canada. I was born in Toronto, uh, Windsor, Ontario. I lived in Toronto till I was about 12. Um, went to moved to Plano in seventh or eighth grade. And it's all a blur. <laughs> went, to, went to Plano East, graduated, went to Collin College, found focus as a freshman in 2006. Um, and that was just kind of a, a really big catalyst in my, in my walk with God. I was raised in church all throughout high school. But I think by the time I graduated, I, I was really struggling with, yeah, do I love God's word? Do I even like God's word? Do I even love people? Do I even like people? And... Focus was, was a huge catalyst that God put in my path, and God used focus as a means to kind of let my faith unfold in the context of community. So I, 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 I led core at Focus, went to UTD, did my bachelor's and my master's in sociology. I'm, I'm an adjunct professor at Richland College and UT Dallas. Um, in 2012, I did the one-year Focus apprenticeship. I was feeling uh, like campus ministry was a big open door for me, and God was calling me just to continue to love college students, and I've been on staff at UTD for about five or six years, and I've been at Richland the last four or five years. And so current, currently, I'm, I'm the director of uh, Richland College Focus and get to spend a lot of time with college students. Um, so this is a really cool topic for me. This is stuff that I would love talking about in general with, with anyone. Like, it's, it's almost, it's funny that there's like an audience of a couple, like hundreds of people watching us talk about something that I would probably love talking with you guys, you know in the context of our own homes. But uh, that's a little bit about, about me. I go to Northeast Church in Garland, and uh, yeah, I'm married to Sloan. I, I work with uh, San Sandra. Is she, is she a thing oh, over yeah. here still? Yeah. She, She's still a legend, for I sure. Still, I still think of her as like a Denton person, but I don't know if you guys know her. But anyway, that's a little bit about me. I did, Sloan and I did pre-E with Troy and Haley. 
they both at the same time just went. <laughs> that was so cute. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna pass it off to, to Chad. <laughs> uh, I'm Chad Doty. Um, you might know my uh, brother better than you know me, or my uh, sister-in-law, right? So my brother's Kurt Doty, my sister-in-law's Michelle Doty now, previously Michelle Kim. Yeah. yeah. Cheer for them, yeah. Especially Michelle on that one, I heard, but that was great. Um, so I grew up in Plano, uh, and I have an older sister named Renee, younger brother named Kurt, and um, we all grew up in Plano, went through public school there, graduated. Um, my sister was involved in Focus at Collin College on the Spring Creek campus, um, and that's when I got involved as well. That's when I met Serac, actually. He was my first uh, peer team, or not peer team, uh, core leader. You and uh, Casey. Yeah. Uh, so I was there for two years, and then I came up here to UNT and earned a degree in English with a focus in language arts to become a high school English teacher. And then I moved back home and um, did my student teaching in Carrollton Farmers Branch, and then immediately got a job in Frisco. And so I've been there for 10 years now. I teach high school English, mostly 10th grade, but then I teach a weird like research type class called AP Seminar, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I met Josh when I was at UNT, and you were in my course. So I'm kind of like the middle child up here, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you're my older brother, you're my young, younger brother. I was gonna say Serac's like my granddad. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, because you like, you were my first Corfa, and he was your first Corfa, so the generations go like, grandfather, father, son. Yeah. That's how it works. That's good. In the kingdom. And then on the, uh, the topic of um, um, scripture, I mean, I, I think about reading and writing on a daily basis just in my own life, and then as my profession, I'm constantly getting students to think critically about text, ask discussion questions, and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of overlap there in ways that's been helpful, but then also has some um, limitations, I'd say, when it, in how I engage with Scripture. But like Sirac, this is stuff that I would talk about um, just like in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, so I'm excited to, to kind of have a dialogue about it here, too. Yeah, and if you one thing to take away is just that these guys have loved Jesus for a long time and have tried really hard to follow him through lots of different seasons, uh, through highs and lows, and it's not been an easy cakewalk kind of deal. And they've worked hard at trying to learn to love God's word. So that's one thing to take away, I think. And also one thing that uh, I just want to shout out Chad for is that he also did FOJ with me when I was a freshman here at UNT. And as I was in that difficult kind of time of, like, trying to take the faith I had as a kid and turn it into a faith that's my own and, and start studying the Bible myself for the first time, Chad was one of the first people I spent time with who seemed from the outside to have a love of scripture that was his own. And I was like, that's pretty cool. He's not just saying like, oh, my mom used to tell me this story or whatever. He really liked to spend time reading God's word on his own. And I just was really admired that. And it seemed to me like he got a lot out of it. He wasn't just doing it because there was some pressure on him or whatever. And so as a, as a, in my earliest stages of trying to follow God on my own as an adult, that was something that really stood out to me. And I think we probably all have somebody in our minds, in our lives, who has exemplified that. And I hope you do. And if you haven't, then I'm sorry. But I think it, it's really cool to be able to see that lived out in someone's lives. And hopefully we can also be that for other people. So anyway, let's get into the real, the real questions and nitty-gritty. Um, and who's going to be our scoring system? Who's going to hold up the signs for the competition? Garrett. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we're just going to – it's fine. It's just a competition. 
Yeah, yeah. And he's going to hold up a sign like the Olympics. Just kidding. <laughs> Chad won. Okay. All right. Sorry. Game over. Um, <laughs> so the first question we want to ask you guys is just how would you define God's word and why? I have a really textbook answer for this. Do you want to go first, Sarah? Or, or like, I, I don't feel like it's a very good one. You want to go first? Okay. <laughs> That's a down point. Negative point. <laughs> that's a da- that's a down point. That's yeah. a little. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's for me as I was reflecting on these questions, it was so hard for me to not. I have to answer these questions from where, like, my, I'm coming from. What I was handed in life, what my family's, what what my family handed me, what my church tradition handed me, and just what my experience handed me. So a little bit about me. My family is Ethiopian. They were kind of raised in the Orthodox Coptic Church in Ethiopia which um, for, for some of you that, that may not mean anything. For a lot of my life, it didn't mean anything. But it was a tradition of Christianity that emphasized um, the mystery of God, the traditions and rituals kind of embedded in the, in the Eastern expression of Christianity. And so that the way, so the, God's word was holy, like the text of Scripture, but the Bible that the Eastern Orthodox Church used was different than the Bible that we use in Western expressions of Christianity, like Protestantism, Catholicism. And I remember growing up, and I would be deeply interested in the Bible, but my mom would also tell me, oh, Sirach, we are Ethiopian, so we, are, we have the bloodline of the Spirit in us, you know? And I would always uh, be so interested and curious about how tradition and ethnicity and culture plays into how we define God's Word and how we receive God's, God's Word. But as I've, as I've grown up, in the, in the church um, from that Ethiopian Orthodox background, which is like the faith of my family, but also when you're raised in your family, you just inherit and you pick up the vibe of what you're raised with. And um, when we moved from Canada to Texas, we started going to Collin Creek Free Will Baptist Church, which is one thing, it's one thing to have like a Baptist church, but then put free will in front of it. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So imagine being a, like an 11-year-old thinking like, okay, my brain's about to explode even at the name of our church. But th- the free will Baptist the, of the branch of Baptists, you know, the never-ending stream of Baptists, it, 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 uh, they really emphasized Scripture as God's Word, infallible, perfect, undeniable. Um, what's the other I word? Infallible, immune, inerrant. Thank you. <laughs> what's the other I word? Um, and... I remember growing up kind of seeing these two approaches to God's Word and kind of having a lot of disillusionment, a lot of conflict in my heart because I don't want to just approach Scripture and say that it's God's Word when what I'm really saying is my interpretation of Scripture is God's Word. I think I really wanted to treat it with respect and with, and with care. Um, focus really helped me step into that through one-on-one relationships, and I began to see that God's Word is you know, an unfolding process of engaging with Scripture, of interacting with it, talking to it, letting it speak back to you, having an openness to it. But then um, a few years ago, I, I, I took John Stackhouse's Christian theology class. He's a professor at Regent College. And he began elaborating on God's Word to include art, to include nature, to include tradition, to even include intuition, which I remember reading that going, what? Like, I thought my intuition was bad. Like, I thought I shouldn't ever listen to the voice inside of me, the, the never-ending 
voices inside of me, but sometimes that one of those voices could be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. He began, he began talking about silence as a form of God's Word, to letting God speak to us through. The, and so when I say unfolding, I mean like it just became this circle that kept getting bigger and wider. And that's been very life-giving to me as I've been interacting with God's Word. I've never left Scripture. I really do love Scripture. I've been really into the book of Jonah recently just because of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, al- but also, um, um, I'm about a quarter of the way through a master's in theology with Fuller seminary, and I just took a class a couple quarters ago called Alcoholics Anonymous and Christian Spirituality, and I got to attend different Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and meet people that are in the AA program and doing the 12 steps and hearing, which is a very Christian program. It's a very spiritual program helping people overcome alcoholism, and that's further expanded how I interact with God's Word, God's word as well, um, And but, but Scripture helped me create that structure and those boundary lines of with engaging with the text, um, and and not just engaging with but with it, but learning to love it, because I do believe that God's word is alive and active, um, and I and I and I think there's this temptation in our generation to maybe throw the baby out with the bathwater and throw out the Bible, because there's a maybe an insecurity with the history of it, and maybe the stories we've been told about it, um, but we'll we'll talk more about that later. But God's word for me is scripture, but it's also been all these other things over time and it's kind of unfolded along the the way. And and we'll we'll probably talk about that more as we go on. So Thanks, Jack. <coughs> um this is one of those questions that at first I thought I had a really simple answer to, and then I thought about it some more and just started googling things and turning to like online, you know, encyclopedias and dictionaries. I'm like, oh, wait, this is a big can of worms. So when I, when I normally thought, think about the Word of God, I think of two things. I think of the Scripture, and I think of Jesus. Um, and I'm like, well, that, that's probably what it is, right? Uh, but if you, if you like really start digging into it, the Word of God, or the idea of like the Word is a very flexible term in both the Old and New Testament. It has a lot of um, different meanings that are influenced by culture as well. So like the way that John uses it in John 1 when he talks about in the, um, uh, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. It's like, or the Word was with God, the Word was God. Like, that's being influenced some by just a Greek understanding of the world. So it gets really complex. And so I have kind of this list that I found from one of the many sources I looked at. Um, I'm going to kind of read through it and kind of explain it, but then I'll also elaborate on, like, how does this maybe impact me on a personal level. So the Word, at first, could be just defined as something that God has decreed. So, like, a great example of this is in Genesis, that God creates by speaking, right? And there's this great, I've, um, I didn't mention my family. I, I married, my wife's Amy, and I have two kids, <laughs> uh, Samuel and Lydia. Samuel's three and a half, and Lydia is um, five months old. Uh, and I read the Bible with, with Sam as part of our morning routine, and he actually gets really upset if we don't read the Bible, and we, uh, like, if, because I'm, like, making my breakfast, and he wants me to read it immediately, I'm like, dude, I'm trying to eat here, and he's like, read, read the Bible story, read the Bible story, and so we've been reading through, um, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is highly recommended, definitely the best, I think, um, and, and one of the things that, that they do in that, in that Bible is that they have the creation phrases like, hello, right, so, like, got, like God says, like, hello, water, and, like, the water appears. He's like, hello, sky, and the sky appears. Um, and, and this is reflected in the text itself that God speaks 
and things are created, things happen. So at, at the very, uh, at, like its very core, the word of God is literally the word of God. It's, it's sometimes we use that as a substitute for just the phrase like scripture, but it's it's God speaking, and then that word has power. Um, secondly, uh, it could just be thought of any time that God addresses humans, just any kind of personal address um, when, when God is speaking in the scripture. So, you know, whenever God commands someone in the scripture itself, that's uh, the word of God. Um, and then also when God speaks to the human prophets in the scriptures, we'll, we'll, he'll say like, okay, this is a word or um, uh, an example is in Deuteronomy. Um, he says, I will put my words in Moses's mouth and he will speak to them whatever I want. Um, so we see God's word in uh, or coming through different people in scripture. Um, and then the two that I referenced earlier are, are, are the ones that I think of most often. Jesus Christ is the word of God. Um, and then God's written word is kind of um, the word of God, right? We can use that as a substitute sometimes, um, like that phrase kind of substitutes for, for scripture. Um, I think an interesting question is like, well, why do I consider the scripture to be the word of God versus something else, right? And I don't actually have a pretty good, an- I don't have a very good answer for that. I've only recently been, been studying Christian history. There's this very interesting like story of how we get the scripture, like how do we got the scripture that we have, um, and I think at this point in my life, this might sound pretty, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, 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 ignorant, not ignorant, um, I don't know, ignorant, foolish, uh, what's the word? Like when you're willfully ignorant, no? Okay, I'm an English teacher, just want to emphasize that again. <laughs> uh, I'll think of it later. But I think of this this quote by G.K. Chesterton, and he says, tradition is the democracy of the dead. It means giving a vote to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. And I think especially in 2022, if many of you are in college, there's this idea like, okay, we get to the, the next level. We, we, we graduate from high school, we get to college, we're, we're engaging with these big ideas, these big texts, like we are now in a position to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong, what's true, and, and there's definitely value to critiquing things and thinking through things. But at least for me, when it comes to the scripture, I'm kind of in the place where it's like, yeah, I, I just kind of trust the tradition on this one. <laughs> like, I, I think that the the saints that have come before me have thought through this. They Their lives are testimonies to the power the scripture has had, and I'm going to trust that. And and I'm going to think about it as well. I'm going to keep reading and, and um, keep looking at other traditions, but um, that's kind of where I am. And that's kind of, I think, overlaps with some of the stuff you were talking about about how we're formed by our traditions, even on views like this. That's actually a perfect transition, too, and it's kind of like a ground rule you've you've sort of landed on, Chad, is to trust the tradition of how Scripture was formed. So the next question we have is just, what are some ground rules you guys have discovered in um, to set for yourself in engaging with God's Word? Okay, have I? <laughs> That's good. We're tied. We're tied. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So I have three. I started with like ten, and then I narrowed it down, um, and so I narrowed it down to three. And I've written them as like these little pairs of phrases that are meant to intentionally be a bit subversive. So bear with me here. So the first one is: don't read a verse, read verses. When I was growing up, I used to play Bible roulette a lot. That's what I call it. Where I'd just take my Bible and I'd just like flip it open and point 
And like, that's what the Holy Spirit has led me to read. And it's like a random verse about snake handling or like an Old Testament law about like female purity or something. Like just, just weird stuff, right? Or you get something that is, seems more relevant and in a weird way it confirms the practice. So it's like, oh, well, this says not to be afraid. So I guess, I guess I'm doing something right to like flip open and point as a way of discerning God's word. But I think that can lead to, um, it can have value, and I think God can work through that. But I think it's also kind of limiting. It also gives us weird interpretations of Scripture sometimes. So, like, you'll find um, some traditions, even within Christianity, that, like, still abide by Old Testament law. Um, like, I, I, I knew this guy in college, and he, like, just met some guy at McDonald's once or something who started telling him all about this, like, like this this branch of Christianity where they they like eat kosher food still and stuff and I think if we don't have this overall narrative and this sense of scripture in a much larger sense, um, reading a single verse here and there isn't really going to uh, form us in the way that that God desires. Um, I think with that reading verses rather than reading just a verse is this idea of understanding context. Um, we can't really, I, I think, we can't really hear the text for what it actually says without having a, a sense of who said it, when they said it, who they were, like what they were trying to achieve, that sort of thing. Um, and then, of course, outside resources for this are incredibly helpful. So things like the Bible, I don't know what's popular right now, but the Bible Project, books like How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, I think these allow us to hear the text for like what it actually is saying um, rather than just going based on our, our just initial impression. Uh, the second one um, is don't aim for competence, aim for faithfulness. Don't aim for competence, aim for faithfulness. And this one's really hard for me as a teacher because I like always want my students to be competent. I want them to pass the tests. I want to be good at my job. Um, but I think we get into some problems if we approach the text with this attitude of like, okay, I'm going to master this thing. Like I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to know it. And that's going to be kind of impressive, and I'm going to live a pretty good life as a result, and God's going to love me, and I'm going to be closer to Jesus. And, like, so we start setting up this narrative for how we think things are going to work because we believe that we're going to get a handle on it. Um, I really, really like this quote by—I I got this idea from Eugene Peterson, who's really formed a lot of my thoughts on Scripture. And this is from his book, uh, Eat This Book, which you may be familiar with. And he says, exegesis, or, like, interpretation and reading— is an act of sustained humility. For the more we learn and the more knowledge we acquire, especially when it is biblical knowledge, God knowledge, the more liable we are to the temptation of going off on our own with the wonderful knowledge and using what we know to run our lives and other people's lives the way we want. But this text was never intended to train us and equip us into competence, grade us into an expertise that establishes us as, superior, as a superior class of Christians, certified and sent off to do God's work for him among the biblically unwashed. The goal isn't to just become competent. The goal is to be formed by what we're reading. It's to approach the text with an attitude of faithfulness. Um, okay, this is going to get really off in the weeds, but there's this uh, Jewish uh, philosopher named Martin Buber, and he was around in 1950s, 40s, something like that. And he has this famous little um, book called I and Thou, and um, the, uh, the book is almost indiscernible. Um, I tried reading it. I struggled the whole thing. But I really love his idea of I and thou, and you'll see it picked up here and there. And the whole idea is that we can have different relationships with 
everything we interact with, people, buildings, scripture, books, God, and we can choose to have an approach that's what he would call an I and thou relationship, or we can have an approach that he would call an I and it relationship. And the whole idea of an I and it relationship, which is how we normally approach things, is that we are, are the subject of the relationship, right? So we are this detached, distant, impersonal observer. We're using the scientific message, message method to understand things. Um, we're acquiring knowledge. We're using things for, for some specific purpose. Um, and the, the it thing, the thing that we're examining, becomes just kind of fragmented as a result. It becomes depersonalized. It becomes um, lifeless. But we can also choose to have what he calls an I and thou relationship. And the whole idea of an I and thou relationship is that there's no longer clear object or subject. It's not me interacting with this object. It's me and this other thing that has just as much autonomy and has just as much power and individuality. And in this kind of relationship, it's a personal one. Both are subjects and both are transformed as a result of the relationship. It's a relational approach to an, an encounter. So that's really up there, right? But I think when it comes to Scripture, we, I often approach Scripture with an I-it relationship, right? Like, oh, I'm going to read Deuteronomy. I'm going to figure out what the Jewish law is. Or I'm going to read Mark, and I'm going to figure out who Jesus is. And I think what God wants is for us to have an I-thou relationship, where we interact with the text and we're transformed by it, and that in our reading, we become less and less masters of the text, where we become more and more dependent on this man, Jesus, that we see coming through the Scripture. And I, I think Mark, the whole book of Mark, is a great example of this, right? Throughout the whole book of Mark, you get Jesus constantly telling people that they don't understand him. In some ways, the whole point, well, this isn't going to be an overstatement, but the whole point of the book of Mark is to show you that you don't know who Jesus is. The very people who are there were constantly confused by him. He was turning up their, you know, upside down their paradigms and stuff. So I think that's uh, my, my second point. Don't aim for competence, aim for faithfulness. And the third is don't use the word, let the word use you. Don't use the word, let the word use you. And this is particularly relevant for me coming from a pretty evangelical Protestant tradition where the whole point is like, okay, let's read it, sure. But the whole point is application, right? Like I need to turn around and do something as a result. Or in the context of this body, like, okay, I need to like do ministry, right? Like, sure, I'm going to read Leviticus, but how does this interact the way that I interact with a, a coworker, or how does this affect how I, I do an FOJ? I think we can run into some problems, though, if our main purpose is always utility, though. Like, if we're always just, like, going to the text for what we can use, we run into some problems. So here's two analogies that show, like, two ways to approach this. So th the first one is to think of Scripture as, like, a tool to fix something. So, like, imagine you have... Um, some problem at, at your house, and you like you go into your you know some toolbox that you have, or your different set of screwdrivers, and you're like, okay, like what am I going to need? Oh, I'm going to need this one, right? And I think that's how we approach scripture sometimes. Like I, I look at my life, I think about the problems that I have, the issues my community has. I'm, okay, I'm going to search through, and I'm going to figure out which tool is best here. And that has its use, but if that's the only way that we're using scripture, then that's incredibly limiting too, and we're we're not understanding the purpose of. This, this larger world that we're entering into with Scripture. The idea of the word using you is an analogy that I got from um, the scholar N.T. Wright. I don't know if you've heard this analogy, but he talks about um, this, this fake <laughs> uh, Shakespeare play, right? 
So he talks about, imagine that there's a group of players that discovers an incomplete work of Shakespeare. It's, it's only four of the five acts. And he says, these, these, these Shakespeare players who've studied Shakespeare their entire life, they've read all of his stuff, they know how his stuff works. What they're going to do is they're going to study those four acts, and they're going to think about all the stuff they've learned throughout their whole life, all the different plays they've been a part of, and then they're going to improvise that fifth act. And that if they really immerse themselves in the world of that text, in the first four acts and the, and the, other, the other plays, then, then that's their interpretation of the text. That's how they're going to live that out. And I think using the idea of the word using us is like that, that we, we read the scripture and sure, we can find some stuff that's applicable along the way. But I also think that we're being formed at an unconscious level, that we, we do things, the, you know, going back to Sirach's idea of intuition or just like what we think we're supposed to do, we're doing that. But I believe that um, reading is also an act of faithfulness and trust, and we believe that God is forming us um, through what we, we read. I mean, it's okay not to be conscious of all the ways we're being formed. Or if we look at, you know, months or years of our life of Bible reading and can't say, oh, well, here's a specific way that I applied something in my life. Amen. <laughs> Amen, yeah. <laughs> okay, now you, Sirach, what are some ground rules you've discovered in engaging with God's Word? Okay, well, first of all... <laughs> Table of contents, you got to open up. I'm sure that's so dumb. <laughs> First of all, I disagree with what Chad just said. Let's go. Have a, <laughs> let's make it. Let's make it. You know. Let's make it social media worthy. You know. Let, let's throw some personal attacks at each other. So the two things that I got, and this is such a great question for ground rules, but like even approaching God's word, and mine are um, one. You have to honor where you're at and where people are at. And by honor, I don't mean stay there. But if you've never read Matthew, what better way to approach Matthew in a way that's, huh, I've never read Matthew. Instead of, I've never read Matthew. I should have read Matthew by now. I'm not a good Christian because I've never read Matthew. I need to read Matthew and I need to explore my potential as a Matthew scholar. Don't even go there. Just say isn't it interesting? I've never read Matthew. And then start. Can you read it for 10 minutes? Five? One? I was, I was meeting up with a, a, a student at Richland, and we're doing F, FOJ, and um, the homework assignments are like three hours, four hours of reading, you know? And I could tell the student was just like, bro, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't, I don't read. I can read, but I don't read, you know? <laughs> I was like, are, are you literate? But he, he was like, he was, he was like, he just, he doesn't like it. He has a physiological repulsion to reading, and I don't, I don't blame him. I think a lot of students, maybe raised in our public schools, come out, come out of it with that relationship to reading. And I said, can you read for an hour? He's like, nah, man. 30 minutes? Nah. 10? And you could tell he was like, 10 minutes is, I was like, what about five minutes? And he goes, I'll do that. And then, and then the next week he came back, and I said, how was it? He said, I think I can do 10 minutes this next week. And I said, praise, praise the Lord, man. You got you to gotta honor where you're at. You have to honor where people are at. Because what I'm convinced that guilt and shame and regret, these aren't fruits of the Spirit that really get you anywhere. You have to honor just where you're, where you're at. If you've never read Numbers, huh, yeah, I've never read Numbers. 
why do I have so many opinions on numbers when I have, you know? So honoring where you're at is having an honesty about where you're at. I, I want to acknowledge that because evangelism is taking the first step towards something. Discipleship is taking the next step towards some, something. And I think in our, in our faith, maybe you're in a place in your faith where maybe you've convinced yourself that there are no more first steps to take. But with God's word, there's always a first step towards something, towards an idea God is drawing you towards, a text he's drawing you towards, maybe a spiritual teacher, a podcast, something that he's drawing you towards. So the first thing I want to say is honor where you're at, honor where people are at. And the second thing for ground rules is whatever you believe is going to be true. If someone asks me, Strack, how's marriage going? And I say, man, marriage is, it's hard. It's tough. You know what's going to happen when I walk into my apartment that night when I'm with my wife? Is I'm going to have that posture and that energy of, this is hard. This is tough. But imagine if I answered that with a posture of, man, marriage is a gift. And I'm just infinitely curious about this person that God gave me to spend my life with. And I'm so curious what the possibilities are in front of us. That can be just as much, just as true as marriage is hard. Do you you kind of see what I'm saying there? I'm kind of playing with this idea here. If you approach Scripture with, this is going to be hard. God is disappointed in me. Then you will, like, that'll be your lens that you engage with the text through. That'll be your lens that you engage with the world through. People are hard. People are disappointing. People are threats. People are messy. If you believe that, that will be true. But a ground rule is to maybe reorient the words we use, what we tell ourselves about the text, what we tell ourselves about God's, God's word. So when we approach it, the possibilities are infinite. Maybe God's word is infinitely revealing itself, even in this room, that God's word has something that it's showing each and every one of you in this room, specifically to you in your season of life, in your, in your jobs, in your classrooms, in your relationships. But then also, God's Word is doing something collectively at Denton North. Like it's moving you all into a new season, maybe a season of transition. But if you go into that thinking, this is hard, this is painful, this is difficult, then that will be true. But if you approach it with a sense of expectancy and freedom, I think that's what Paul means when he talks about freedom in Christ. Because really, it's this never-ending expansion of love. Who knows what will happen? Jesus was like, guys, I'm leaving, but the possibilities are endless. You're going to do better things, you know what I mean? He kind of had that mindset of, it's better. It'll be good. It'll keep getting better. And so my ground rules are honor people where they're at, honor where you're at. And then everything I just said after, but right, there, right, right then. The words, yeah, whatever you think about a situation will end up being true. You have to reorient the words that you use and your, and your posture towards it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I, um, we're going to skip. We have only about 10 minutes left, actually. So, uh, if we have time, we'll come back, but I want to skip down to sort of the later two questions. Uh, just a lot of people, uh, it's a common thing. We've all felt it. We've talked about it with each other. Just struggle with, like, how to start engaging with God's Word, how to start developing this love for God's Word. Many of us are like, I'm, I'm working on it, but I'm not quite close to saying I love God's word in my life or whatever. So um, if there's any way you guys could kind of combine your answers for four and five or give the highlights. But a lot of people struggle. How would you advise them to start 
so that they can develop this love of God's word. Yeah. Um, I don't think I laughed when I got your email, like asked me to do this. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I love the word of God. <laughs> like love is not the word that I think of. Um, I think love has this like overly sentimental connotation when it comes to scripture. Like oh, I love scripture, you know, like, I don't know, just like that word doesn't resonate as much. I think I just constantly, my life is marked by a struggle to love God's word. And, um, is like when, when Strack was talking about like, I, I don't know, I, I've had, a, this kind of goes to the question we aren't covering, like this greatest struggle, but I think there, I've had a lot of pain related to scripture. I think the, the majority of the time when I read, um, I don't feel very satisfied or it doesn't seem like there's a lot of payoff. Um, so what are, what's my advice? I think very practically, one thing you, you can do a few things. Um, so here's my like practical recommendations. If you want to read, make sure you pick a translation that you actually enjoy and can read. Um, the majority of my Bible reading is with The Message by Eugene Peterson, because most of the time I'm just trying to get through large chunks of scripture and not doing like line by line Bible study. Like I think like pull up, sure, pull out your NASB to like <laughs> <laughs> dig through some verse in Hebrews if you want. But most of the time that stuff is unreadable. So um, maybe pick something that you think you can, you can, you know, resonate with. Maybe that's King James for you. I don't know. Uh, the second thing is to find some sort of starting point. Um, you know, like, is it Matthew, right? Like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to read Matthew. Why not? For me, it was Psalms and it still is the Psalms. Like, I think the Psalms are a really helpful starting point because they give language to the whole range of emotions you might experience as a follower of Christ. You have the highs, you have the lows, and you read them with a community in mind. Uh, like, just quick reference, like, in Ukraine, I've heard of um, uh, many Christians and Jews collectively reading Psalm 31 together, right? And we can read Psalm 31, a psalm of lament, and be with them in that moment. And so one of the great things about the psalms as a starting point for Scripture is that you are being trained in the different kinds of ways to think and feel about the text. It's God giving us words for how to talk to God. Uh, and so I think psalms is a great place to start. If not that, then, then pick something else. And then my last practical piece of advice is to ask for help. Um, I have, like, my own, like, system for reading the Bible and stuff, but it's not going to work for you. I'm not going to even share it, right? Because the way that you work through the text, the way that you're even thinking about Scripture right now is in incredibly dependent on your stage of life, what you've learned in the past, what you believe, all that. So ask a friend and mentor, say, hey, I don't know where to start. Like, what would you recommend? Or what have you done in the past that's been helpful? How did you get over certain obstacles to, to reading? Um, yeah, so pick a translation that you'll actually read, find a starting point of some kind, and ask for help. Yeah, starting uh, answering this question, I know there's nothing prescriptive about it. I can't say, you know, here's Sir, here's Sirach's eight-week, be your best self plan, you know, implement it, even though there's plenty of plans that we can buy on social media and stuff like that. But I think you to start, something that for years plagued me as I read scripture was I wasn't okay with paradoxes. I wasn't okay with competing emotions. Like, do I think scripture has been abused, misinterpreted, exploited at the expense of, like, people that didn't have influence or power? Yes, I, I do think and feel that. But do I think scripture has been used for great life transformation that has changed the trajectory of millions, billions of lives? I think that too. 
Do I think that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Yeah. Do I think he's infinitely confusing and a wrench in the machine of Sirach? Yeah, I think that too. Do I, do I think that having a disciplined, set routine of engaging with God's word is going to bless everyone in this room? I do. Do I think it's going to save you? I, I don't. Do I, so you have to be okay with living in this paradox that discipline goes hand in hand with creating space for God to work. And even last night, Garrett Matthews and I, we, were, we played, we learned Dean Town by Wolfpack, and we played it at Showcase, which it's a very technical, very fun, jazzy, it's just a bop, it's just a vibe. It's just like such a fun song. But for the weeks leading up to it, it was so painful learning it because you're, you're learning this song that professionally trained musicians have written, and you're just like an average, like, you know, worship electric guitarist, and, 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 and you just, you grind all for all these weeks to play it, and then afterwards, Garrett and I were like, dude, that was really fun, and then we both were just like, dude, I'm reminded of why I love music. Like, that was so hard, and it was such a grind and a routine, but it tapped into this, like, inner child in both of us, that, that the middle school version of us that just sat in our rooms for hours and played guitar over and over again. So there is a disciplined element to it, but, there is, but that discipline helps you tap in to, the, to what's already inside of you. You know, Ecclesiastes, there's a line that says that God has set eternity into the hearts of men. So when you have that disciplined structure of reading for like maybe five minutes a week, maybe it's five minutes a day, you're tapping in, 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 into that. So be okay with paradoxes. Be okay. The analytical mind, the rational mind isn't okay with paradoxes. And I think that's why when Jesus wanted, when people wanted Jesus to keep talking, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> and then when they wanted him to sit in silence, he was like, I got something to say. <laughs> because he always wanted to show that, you know, the kingdom of God is within you, but it's going to take a seeking. He, he said, seek me and you will find me. He didn't say, Google me and you will find me. But there's, but, but there's an inner search that we have that comes through discipline, and it, has, and it comes with dealing with paradoxes and being okay with that. So, so start there and keep um, pushing through that. Um, but also honoring where you're at, being okay with the answer to the question, do I even love Scripture? Do I love it? Do I even like script, Scripture? And having that a sense of self-inquiry that you can be like, well, maybe it's not that I don't love Scripture. Maybe it's I don't like the way most Christians talk about it. Maybe it's I don't like the way it's handled. Maybe I don't like the way it's it's discerned. And, and maybe these desires in you, those questions, are tapping into an inner, the Holy Spirit sharing with you, like, I want you to be the voice into these questions that you have, free of guilt or shame, but stepping into, into that. So being okay with, par- with paradoxes, using discipline, but also um, being okay with self-inquiry as you ask these kinds of questions, yeah. Obviously, we've like just barely scratched the surface on one of these big, tough questions like this. Um, they have more thoughts if you want to talk to them afterward. And can I just ask you guys to give them a hand? And thanks for sharing with us this morning. Thanks, guys. It's so it's funny because we talked about all these values at the church retreat, and then Leslie and I were talking, and Garrett, and we were like, "Oh, let's go through each value one at a time. We could talk about it more." And then there's some of these where it's like, "Oh my gosh." you could probably do like a whole sermon series about God's word or a whole sermon series about, you know, outreach every day or all these things. So these are just to get our minds turning, our gears turning, thinking and talking with each other about them. So don't let this just be the one Sunday where you're like, wow, they just like totally 
blew my mind with all these thoughts they have about Scripture. I don't have those thoughts. Let's just move on and not complicate my life. <laughs> Let this be a thing that starts a spark in your, in your mind, in your discussions with your friends this week. And please be willing to talk to either them after church or any of the leaders in our community about questions you have about Scripture. And let's keep this going. Could I ask one of you guys to, to say a prayer over our community as we kind of think through this in this season? Father, we just um, we just thank you for the for the call that you put on each of our lives to be in the world but not of the world, and we know that engaging with your word it doesn't mean that we just get out of the world and create our own world, but we have to be in the world which is a world that's abused your word, it's manipulated your word, it's used it for our own personal advantages. And but we know that you offer us a path of love and a path of hu humility and a path of grace to where we can really be a light, that we can really be salt to the earth, that we can make conversations taste better, feel better. We can have, we can talk about your word in a way that int intrigues and opens and creates space and welcomes. And I know to get there, it does take, take work. It takes looking at our own sin. It takes letting go of the things that we're clinging to, letting go of the things that we want your word to be in our lives that it just isn't. I pray that we would be able to engage with the text, with your word, in a way that honors where we're at, but it also honors you, and it honors um, your heart. I just thank you for Denton North Church. I just pray just a, just a tremendous blessing over their, their path and their journey in, into 2022. I pray that just powerful relationships would be formed, uh, connections would be made, that this would be just a hub, a warm fire for people in the city of Denton to warm their hearts in each, each week. Thank you for Josh and the staff here. Thank you for the space to have this, co this conversation. I pray that it would create conversations on conversations, on, on, on prayers, on just... That just the interconnectedness of a, a day like this would be unfolding in each of our, our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, just a few quick announcements um, before we go. Just a reminder that all of our announcements are in the newsletter. Um, they're also um, on our website. Most of the information is on the website if you want to go there and look as well. And I want to remind you, when you come in on Sundays, make sure you pick up a communion cup. Those are always going to be sitting at the back in a basket. And then remind the people around you to grab one, too, when they come in. 
On Monday, March the 7th at 7 o'clock is our next uh, prayer meeting with the shepherds, and that's going to be at our house. And so any of you that want to join us for that are invited to come. If you look in the um, newsletter, you'll see kind of some of the things that we're going to think through and pray through that night. Also, if you're interested in doing the teen ministry internship, it is an internship that lasts 10 weeks through the summer, and it's an opportunity to serve the teen ministries of our churches. You'll get firsthand experience working with teens, and you learn how to apply scriptural principles through some of the classes and one-on-one mentorship that you get to have during that. So if you're interested in knowing more about that, there's an interest meeting on March the 2nd at the Northeast Church. And then our Young Professionals Conference is going to be March the 27th from 4 to 8 at the um, Northeast Church in Garland. And if you're interested in that, they're targeting ages 18 to 35. And the registration for this will open in March. There are going to be some main talks and some breakout sessions where you can get into something that maybe is more um, targeted to something you're thinking through and wanting more information about. There's dinner, and then there's going to be an after party afterwards um, just to hang out with people that are um, thinking through some of the same things that you are. And then there's several others that we've already talked about in the past weeks, but I would encourage you to go back and look at those in the newsletter um, and think through some of that. Make notes to yourself about those things. And that's it for today. So thanks for being here. You guys go out and have a great week. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.